Welcome. Thank you for joining us here on the Construction Leaders Podcast presented by CMA, where each episode will provide interviews with diverse perspectives, as well as trends that are affecting the construction and project management industry and beyond. You'll hear us cover a variety of topics such as the economy, ethics, leadership, innovation, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as lessons learned. On behalf of CMA, I'm your host, Nick Soto, alongside my colleague, Carly Trout. Well, I'd just like to welcome back our, our panel to episode three. We have with us members from the ELP, the Emerging Leaders Program. We have Emily Gladstone, Ram Ramasetti, Craig Sweet, Christine Goins, and Cody Bain. I want to thank you all for, for joining us again. We had a great discussion on our last episode of the podcast. We talked a little bit about your backgrounds and what got you into construction management. So we want to switch gears a little bit for this episode. And the first question, is around mentoring. Um, so can you tell us some of the most effective mentoring you've, you've experienced in your career so far and what made that mentor relationship resonate with you? Craig, can we start with you? Um, yeah, the best mentorship approach I've, I've had in my career was kind of given the freedom to manage myself a little bit, you know, with a little bit of oversight, kind of make my own decisions with some, with some help in the background, you know, not not to have, run to my manager, ask them for help and have them kind of just give me the answer more of, maybe, you know, come with a problem, have them ask me questions back, kind of talk through it to where, you know, I kind of end up answering the question myself. And then just the freedom, you know, to make decisions, to make choices for the, for the project, whether they're right or wrong, knowing that my manager has my back and is going to support me fully. I think that's one of the biggest things that's helped just that extra little boost of confidence, knowing that, okay, you know, I might screw up, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm going to have someone there to, to help me out and have my back in case things go all wonky. But yeah, that, that support system and kind of freedom to, to learn and make mistakes and grow has been tremendous for my, my mentorship. How about you, Ram? Uh, the best mentoring advice I got is the asking me where you want to be next in your career. And having a very custom-made, tailor-made kind of a uh, development goals and milestones here. So where you can have a continuous support and feedback, uh, need not to wait for the end of the year. Hey, uh, this is where you did and where you can develop. But it's always a kind of continuous feedback and support. Christine, you wanted to jump in here? So some of the most beneficial mentoring experiences for me early in my career were when my bosses or organically grown mentors invited me along to meetings and closed door discussions where I didn't necessarily have a contributing role, but to hear what they were working on and to hear what those discussions sounded like and the topics, that was very eye-opening for me. And I knew they were doing it to help me grow and help me learn. And uh, being in part of those conversations was very formative. Just being involved and engaged in conversations is super helpful. Good, goody. Well, first off, I want to say I really agree with uh, some of the things Craig said about having mentors that have your back and especially about ones that when you come to them with a problem, don't necessarily just give you the answer. They ask you questions and kind of help you work through the problem. I think that's extremely effective. And I could probably go on for about 10 more minutes about that. But I wanted to share a specific instance that really resonated with me. And it wasn't even directed at me. I was just a, a spectator, if you will. But I was on a... Uh, Pretty, pretty substantial size transportation project. There were three of us out there assigned as uh, owner's reps in the field. So there was a senior inspector, there was me, and then there was a, a young female engineer. And probably six months into the project, 
one of the foremen said something to this young engineer that was a little off color. It was a little inappropriate. I don't think he had any malicious intent, but it was not something he should have said. Well, the next day she talked to uh, the senior inspector and told him, uh, she said, you know, foreman out there, he, he said some stuff and I really didn't appreciate that. And Mark, who was our senior at the time, looked at her and he told her, he says, all right. He says, I understand. I'll support you. He says, a couple of things we can do. He says, one, he says, I'm going to talk to the superintendent. He said, I'll probably have that foreman thrown off the job today and he won't be back. He said, but if I do that, they're not going to respect you very much. If they, every time they think that they need something, you're just going to go run into daddy and I'm going to have to go defend you. He said, but I will do it. I'll back you up. And he said, but if you go tell this foreman that you don't appreciate it, he says, and I will back you up. I'll have your, you know, your back and make sure he says, but you tell him yourself, you don't appreciate it. He says, everybody on this job is going to respect you a heck of a lot more for standing up for yourself and, you know, making your point known. And so that's what she did. She went and told him, said, you know, that, that wasn't appropriate. I don't appreciate it. He was very apologetic to her. But that just really resonated with me as our senior inspector could have just dealt with the problem, moved on. But instead, he took the time to explain the position to her. He empowered her to take charge of it herself. And it was really effective. And that helped build our relationship throughout the uh, length of the job. And I think it went a lot to developing her and to me just as a bystander. That kind of struck me as a really powerful movement. I think that's that's an incredible story. Uh, and I believe that empowered the person to go and actually handle the problem themselves, but still gives the support necessary. So that's wonderful to hear, but I would love to hear what, you know, everybody's a little different. So that could have been perceived a lot differently had the offense been taken differently. My question to you guys, and Ram, I'm going to start with you, is what's your preferred method of receiving feedback? I My preferred method of receiving feedback would be direct and continuous and something that can be told in a very diplomatic way, but also happy to have a very positive criticism. I'm more than happy to receive feedback, which is uh, saying, hey, this is a mistake, but this is where you can do. I mean, not only showing my mistakes, but also showing the way where I can uh, correct those mistakes. It also includes more, not only about my technical skills or my people skills, but also the element of how holistically I can grow to be a better leader, to take next big responsibility in the job. Yeah, Emily, would you would you agree with that, that you prefer direct feedback? Absolutely. I totally agree with what Ram was saying, that it's it's really important to have that feedback immediately after certain situations, just so it's fresh in your mind. It's not really helpful six months later at a performance review to hear things that you did well or things you could improve upon. I think the quicker the feedback, the better. And I think Ram also kind of hit on it as well. I think giving feedback related to those soft skills is really important. I think in the last podcast, we did a lot of um, discussion about how critical soft skills and people skills are in our career as construction managers. And I remember one time I was running a meeting and I was a little uncomfortable with the subject and there were a few things I could have done better. And I really appreciated the time that my manager took directly after the meeting to give me a call and say, hey, this is what you did well. This is what you could do better. There are a lot of different personalities in the room. You could have addressed that person one way and this other person another way. Um, And I think that feedback on those soft skills is really important to help our careers grow as leaders. You know, I find this incredibly interesting because I think the stereotype that uh, most people are generalized the millennials with is that they don't want the feedback and that they're going to take that feedback and they're going to take it and they're going to leave and they're going to be angry about it. They don't want to do that. So I I find it very interesting to hear that perspective. And I'd love to know because everyone is a little different and the perspectives are different and not everybody wants direct feedback. 
But how do we as an industry in the construction industry attract in a more diverse workforce, attract those young professionals into this industry? And how do we retain that new workforce? Because that is one of the key things that is affecting not only the construction industry, but most industries. So Craig, what are your thoughts on attracting a more diverse workforce and retaining that workforce? I would say that the key is to really just have an open mind going into networking events. You know, a lot of times, you know, events I go to, I kind of try and stick around to the people I know and sometimes don't really want to branch out. And and I think the biggest thing is just trying to put yourself out there and, and be open to it. A lot of times you can have good conversations with people that you wouldn't expect to. Um, I have an example from, I want to say it was our CMA's national conference back in Orlando, I think in 2019, just a simple sitting at the hotel lobby bar kind of by myself, kind of was waiting for people from my organization or, you know, chapter to show up. And, you know, I decided to kind of just start chatting up the person next to me, see what, see what they're here for. And they were also here for the CMA event and started getting chatting. And, and it turns out, you know, they were from, I believe, Dallas area. We got started chatting and it turns out, you know, we had some pretty similar things in common, both work-wise and out of work-wise. And it was just kind of a great organic conversation that came out there. We got to kind of learn about some subtle differences about the industry. Even though we're both doing construction management, there's some things that, you know, I may do different and that this fellow may did a little bit different, but we both were able to take some good things out of it. The The biggest thing is to really just put yourself out there a little bit. It's going to be awkward. It's just talking to strangers, but putting yourself out there to, to try and reach out to people that you may not normally talk to, get different insights is, is going to help you grow in your career. I think those are great networking tips, uh, but I think I'm looking a little bit more deeper than that. So Ram, why don't you tell me a little bit about your perspective on how we can attract more diversity and retain diversity and a new workforce and go beyond just the same old college that you went to and recruiting the same people who went to your university or school or or your last company. How do we get to that point where we can attract a more diverse workforce? Great question. Attracting the diverse talent is obviously everyone's job, but also not only the individuals, but also how company and larger extent industry redefine the culture. Any diverse guy who looking into getting into this industry is not only looking for the kind of the money he's going to make in this industry, but also the how the work culture is, how accommodative is, how inclusive it is. Uh, one thing we can companies can do is as a first step is to be transparent, doing a kind of a DEI diversity, equity, and inclusivity audits, and releasing these reports uh, at the end of the year to understand where they stand. And once they understand where they exist, uh, maybe they can also start coming with the new policies, uh, attracting the diverse workforce. Maybe they can go to colleges, schools, uh, understand like we, for example, recently my company started women in STEM program where the project engineers, uh, when project engineers and project managers and the, all the executive goes to different schools saying how good is the construction industry for the women and how there's a career opportunities. So there are two elements. One is to be being vocal, where we promote ourselves that we are changing, the culture is changing, and we are more accommodative and inclusive. Other, other thing is that the redefining the culture of the workplace, you know, celebrating different festivals. For example, I'm really surprised my company this year sent me Chinese New Year greetings. So it was a not it was not something that happened in the past. So the companies are uh, accepting more different cultural festivals, different. Uh, 
accepting more traditional different traditions so those are both things so there's a cultural element there is also the kind of a being a more vocal and promoting element i feel that's wonderful christina as a woman in the construction industry uh, and emily feel free to chime in as well I believe it's not just a culture thing. We did a salary survey for CMAA over the past few months, and we found out that less than 10% of the workforce that we surveyed out of 900 people, 10% of them are women. We surveyed a lot more than that, that amount responded, but that's a, a good representation of what this industry is. How do we attract more women to this industry and how do we retain them as well? I mean, I'm sure the answer is going to be similar to Rams, but is there a different perspective as a woman in the construction industry? Yeah, there are a lot of facets to that question and ways to improve women in the workforce, especially at a time when all workforces around our nation are are struggling to find folks and quality folks and to have such an untapped market for construction. It's just, I mean, a goldmine for talent and numbers and additions to our industry that can serve in so many ways. And I can say as a young girl, construction and engineering were not really presented to me as viable options. Not that anyone said I couldn't do that, but you grow up and you have dolls and you have games and toys and they're geared towards one gender or another. That is, I feel, out of the picture now. You know, I have two young daughters and the things we play with and the ways we engage and drive around and point out excavators, you know, it starts very young and just opening their eyes to all the different career opportunities leads up into middle school. I've gone to middle school events and we've talked about engineering and construction management and what does that look like and girls and and boys are like oh wow I didn't know that that was a career opportunity available to me and then further into high school and college so it's it's a lot of hands-on discussions and presentations with children early throughout their lives to present that to them to like Emily said put it in front of them hey let's build a house together design it and build it Craig grew up with it. You know, if if folks aren't exposed to it, they don't know that it's an option. And then from the woman's perspective, I went to an all-girls high school and we basically were presented with career options of every type and encouraged and just celebrated to explore all of our options. But if you don't have that type of supportive environment and access to opportunities, that connection is not going to be made. And then just to draw it a little bit further, once you are college age or you're graduating and If you want to be a parent, this goes for men and women, but to be a parent and to look at what are my options when it comes to raising a family and being engaged in all fronts of my life to have flexibility and to know that the income potential is so great and that the directions you can take are so varied. It's just, there are so many opportunities with construction management that folks aren't aware of. So getting that message out there, appealing to people at all the different ages and levels and showing them truly what the opportunities are. It's a big ask and it's a big answer to your question, Nick. My point is it goes to so many levels and there's not one particular point to start. Start early and start often and let's just show show folks how wonderful of a career path this is. I think it's a worthy answer and I appreciate it, Christine. Emily, do you wanna chime in too? Yeah, I would would second everything that Christine and Ram have said. Um, I would continue Christine's line of thinking even further. I feel like I've been very fortunate in my career to have multiple female role models to look up to in within my company. So I know there's times where I have a bit of that imposter syndrome where I can feel like, oh, I'm a woman. I don't know if I really belong in this industry, but it's meant a lot for me to have those women who are 10, 15, 20 years in their career 
being project managers, being out on site every day. Um, so I think the more we can do to highlight those women and have them share their stories would be impactful for the younger generation to see that, yes, it can be done. And here's a resource that you can reach out to if you have any questions or concerns. I totally agree with you, Emily. That's been huge for me. And uh, being that two of our partners are women, I should certainly point that out. I mean, it's when you see that there's no glass ceiling and that those opportunities are there, that that's a huge element as well. That imposter syndrome can really bring people down and to know that it, it doesn't have to exist, that we're all, we've earned where we are and, and that we have the skills that it takes to excel in those roles is, is a huge component. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it goes back to that mentorship piece that we were talking about. It's it's important to to have mentors in those positions. We really appreciate you all sharing your perspective on that. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, the Construction Manager Certification Institute. Today's ANSI accredited certified construction manager brings professionalism to the project and provides leadership by unifying architects, general contractors, engineers, and facility managers to successfully complete the project. The CCM is familiar with the latest techniques and technologies of construction, from prefabrication to building information modeling. He or she thoroughly understands sustainable design and construction, how projects are financed, and how risks can be minimized and effectively shared. The certified construction manager is a communicator, a facilitator, a problem solver, a professional leader. Certified construction managers have the proven knowledge and experience to deliver all these values for every project. Make the CCM part of your strategy for success. For more information on the certified construction manager, please visit cmcertification.org. So the next question is going to be geared more toward the current work environment. You've heard that the, the next generation likes the flexibility of their work, working from home, having the autonomy. But at the same time, how do you balance the importance of being on the job site, you know, working in construction? How do you balance that with the, the flexibility and working from home? Cody, did you want to take that one first? Sure. Thanks, Carly. Uh, That's a really dynamic question, and I don't think there's any easy cookie cutter answers for it. It it is nice. I agree. It is nice to have that autonomy and that that flexibility to work on your schedule. I mean, it's interesting. We've had discussions with my company about the way people have adapted over working at home. And one of my managers says that she gets the most work done between 5 a.m. and 8 a.m., but five o'clock in the evening, she's done. I'm kind of the opposite. I'd get my best work done after eight o'clock. If I can get like an hour or two after dinner where there's no emails, there's no phone. I mean, no one's calling you at that time. That's when I really can buckle down and get a few things done because I'm not getting constantly distracted. And I think that that is nice for people to find that time where you can work on those tasks. Uh, on the flip side, though, especially for people like me, I, I'm there's no doubt that I'm an extrovert. I get a little bit of what I'm going to call uh work from home fatigue. You know, I kind of miss going into the field office every day and seeing some colleagues and going out on the job. And sure, we still go out and visit the job, but because there's not that requirement to be there 10 hours a day or 12 hours a day, like it was in the past, uh, you know, my visits are usually a couple, two or three times a week, maybe an hour or two, and then I'm out of there. I think it's a challenge and everybody's just got to find their own, what works best for them. And I've got one colleague that has given up working from home. He said he's done with it. He's coming into the office every day, regardless whether there's anybody else there, because that's, he said, you know, that's what I did it for 20 years. And I worked from home for two and I'm not doing it anymore. I'm going in the office every day. So I think it's commendable the companies that are allowing their people to have that flexibility 
to find out their own thing. But I, I think it's imperative that we reach out and make sure everything's working for everybody and that they're getting the environment they need to succeed. And I think it's important uh, you know, as we progress further for management, mid-level managers, everybody to just, even if you're not seeing everybody, check in and make sure that it, what's working for them, because uh, it is it is certainly different. Thanks, Cody. Craig, how about you? Yeah, you know, I, I think right now with the whole pandemic, forcing everyone to work from home has really kind of changed a lot of people's perspectives of, of being able to do it. You know, we, I have a manager here at work that when I first came on was adamantly like there's no option to work from home don't even think about asking me and now he's it's kind of changes tune a bit we're in the office four days a week and working from home on Fridays and it's kind of that nice little end of the week relax you know a little bit less stress like Cody said having that work from home one day a week kind of get that shut off from everyone and can kind of buckle down and get some work done but I think too is as our generation coming in you know I think in the past it's always been looked at us to get in like Cody was saying get in for your 10 to 12 hours or whatever it may be you're there in the office and then you go home and, you know, I think now with so many things going on with your life outside of work, that flexibility to be like, oh, you know, I've got an appointment this morning. I'm just going to, you know, work from home and then head to my appointment and then and, and then hop back online once it's done. Get your work done in your 40 hours. However, that those 40 hours come, it, that's on you. Kind of manage your own time. I get a lot of support for my group here at work right now. I, I coach high school baseball. So I'm I'm coming in, you know, early 6 a.m., getting out of here around 2 so I can go do that. But, you know, I wouldn't be able to do that without the support of my, my team and, and my managers as well. So, you know, there's there's definitely a, a give and take. You got to make sure that you can get that support from, from those around you. But, you know, I think we're starting to see a lot more acceptance of being able to kind of have that kind of mismatch schedule of getting your work in. So we have time for one last question here, and uh, I think it's kind of the important one here uh, that everyone listening probably wants to know, and that's what do young professionals like yourself need from leadership to excel and to succeed, and what kind of support system do you recommend that the current leaders have and that you'll probably instill as the future leaders of this industry? Let's go with Emily. I think that's a great question, Nick. Um, I'm sure everyone else has great thoughts to chime in as well, but I guess I'd start with saying just making sure that we have opportunities to learn and grow while still having the support and somebody having your back. So I know sometimes it can be challenging to expand your skill set and grow if you're not giving that opportunity to stretch yourself and maybe step a little bit outside of your comfort zone. But I think there needs to be a balance with also having your manager there to have your back if you do make a mistake or if you do have questions I think we kind of hit on this earlier that if we do have questions, having that manager guide us through the response and not just giving a direct answer, asking those follow-up questions to have us work through it on our own. Christine. I would recommend that recognizing we are millennials, recognizing that that comes along with ambition and to treat that ambition as a positive, as opposed to a negative, to cultivate it, feed into it, show us what those next opportunities are and challenge us with them. Give us the chance to go out there and spread our wings and support you as our bosses and our leaders to help our companies and our, our organizations grow and deliver on what it is we do. So in, in summary, show us what those opportunities are, help us grow into those roles and continue to see that as a positive as opposed to a detractor where we're, you know, if we're, if we're bursting at the seams, just let us go. Let us keep growing. Ram. 
Uh, one thing I would like to see is the support in terms of horizontal moves within a uh, company or career. Like it's not like you stick with start as a product engineer, you keep on moving into senior product engineer assistant. If I want to go some back in area, like if I want to be an estimator, uh, I can have a chance to go into that position. If I want to be a scheduler, if I can. So there's a kind of horizontal moves I'm looking in terms of support. Craig? Yeah, just kind of that that ability to grow, kind of echoing Christine, um, that support system there, knowing that I'm going to make mistakes. You know, one of the, the big things that I've heard from my manager, so he likes to say is, you know, earning your scars. You're going to make decisions. Sometimes they may not be right, but, you know, it's it's good to to get those scars early with the supportive team behind you that you can learn from those mistakes and, 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 you know, realize that, okay, there's maybe some things I could do a little bit differently here, but taking those learning from them growing and just becoming a better, better person overall and being able to make that, you know, have that more knowledge the next time that decision comes around. Cody. One thing I think is incredibly important about, you know, attracting the next generation, the younger generations and retaining them. And, and I think all of us have probably could have been through this, what I'm about to describe, but I think it's incredibly important as an industry that we find opportunities for younger team members to take ownership of a project. And when I say take ownership, I'm not saying put them in charge of the hundred million dollar job, but as part of that team on there, make sure they have an assignment, something that matters, something that they can put their name on. It doesn't, it doesn't have to, and I say matters, it, it, it can be something small and trivial, but something at the end of the day, they can say, I made sure that was done right, or I did that right. And I think as you find those opportunities and the people are able to, at the end of the day, you know, kind of have that pride in what they did uh, and look at the project and say, I was part of the team that delivered that project. I think that's what inspires people. And that kind of helps with that word of mouth when people are happy about what they do. And I I think there's a lot of opportunities that are done well, but there's others that are missed. You know, if you think about uh, if you're a young engineer and all you do is schedule reviews for 20 different projects and you really don't feel like you made an impact on one project, uh, you know, it's like I was a piece of it, but I was just kind of on the fringe. Uh, That person's not going out to talk about construction management to their friends. That person's not... Uh, you know, they're starting to look, but when they, when they have an impact, when you're just a really a part of that machine, that's how we attract people. And I think that that's really important as to help people from our generation drive their own careers and, and really kind of take charge of things. Well, it's a shame that we have to wrap this up. Uh, I do want to thank each one of you, Emily, Cody, Christine, Ram, and Craig for spending some time with us in, on the past two episodes. Uh, we've really enjoyed getting to know you guys, and we really look forward to seeing your growth as professionals. And I've really enjoyed getting to know you guys over the past year and a half. So thank you for joining us on the podcast. Join us on our next episode as we talk to Ann Cotter of Cotter Consulting and Paul Foster from Foster CM Group on what it took them to start their own firm. Listen as we dive into the details, trials, tribulations, impact decisions, considerations, and what drove them to take the risks involved with starting their own firms. Make sure to download and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at CMAA underscore HQ. On behalf of CMAA, I'm Nick Soto with Carly Trout. Thank you for listening.